Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's return to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with a crowd of uh, Jewish folks that had gathered to hear him teach and watch his miracles be performed. Specifically, he's cast out a demon here in chapter 11 from a mute man and miraculously restored the man's ability to speak. But rather than praising God and rejoicing in the man's great fortune and blessing, God's mercy in his life, some in the crowd used the occasions to cast aspersions on the name of Jesus. Rumors, innuendo, nothing new, mind you, the same kind of things they had spread up in Galilee when he had taught and performed miracles there. They said that he was performing these miracles not in the power of God, but in the power of a demon. Of course, that was a lie, terribly slanderous. Jesus said, uh, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. It makes no logical sense what you're saying, but since when has sin made logical sense? And so many others though in the crowd that were not quite so blasphemous began to say, if we only had one more sign, if we had one more miracle, then we would believe. And so Jesus addresses himself quite directly to those cynics in verses 29 through, 20, uh, through 32. He calls those doubters a wicked generation. And what he's saying is that no amount of proof or evidence would ever be enough for them. The problem was their lack of faith, not a lack of proof. So Jesus reminded them of two Old Testament stories, not of Jewish people, but of pagans, of Gentiles who repented and believed, even though they had far less evidence, far less proof than those of his day. Uh, the first example was of the Syrians, the Ninevites, who were terribly wicked. But when they saw the sign of Jonah, his preaching, but more specifically that he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, they repented and believed and God forgave them. And then uh, the lesser known story, the story of the Queen of the South, the Queen of the Sheba, who came according to 1 Kings 10 to uh, visit King Solomon. She left so impressed with his kingdom, not only did she believe in Solomon's wisdom, she blessed God. And the point of bringing up those two Old Testament stories is summarized in verses 31 through 32 here in chapter 11. Look at it. The Queen of the South will rise up and with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here. Now she came because she'd heard about his wisdom primarily. She had a whole list of questions for him and he answered all of them with a plum. But Jesus is saying as wise as Solomon was there's one whose teaching is greater than Solomon. The wisdom of the gospel is greater than any human wisdom. Would you agree? And Jesus came preaching good news and they didn't want to hear it. And he gives another example. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah had a great and important message, but the message that Jesus brings is greater and more important if for no other reason than it's God in the flesh calling them to repentance. Now, in our text this morning, Jesus reiterates that the problem with this generation of people that he lived in was not lack of truth, which he describes in terms of light, 
But the problem is the failure of the people to perceive the presence of that light. So let's read Luke 11:33 through 36. No one, Jesus says, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light, but when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined. So when the lamp illumines you with its rays. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now the first thing we noticed in this passage is the presence of light. This is the time of year where light is ubiquitous. Night before last, we got our family in our little minivan and we made our annual trek to look at Christmas lights. And we go into some of the wonderful neighborhoods and we're impressed by people who obviously have a lot more time and energy than we do. <laughs> but we appreciate the efforts that they go through. But the point of the light is, is to be seen. And you put out lights to say, we're celebrating Christmas. We have a, a lampstand here. And on it we have the Advent candles. And Matt does such a wonderful job of explaining to you the meaning of those candles. But the point is that we put them up high, so hopefully all of you can see it. You must know about the presence of the light. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. Now, in those days, they did not have electricity, of course. I'm sure they would have been utterly amazed to walk in a room this large, hit one button, and the entire room light up. That would have been unheard of because it was with great effort that they had any light. They had to work and save to buy oil. They had these little clay lamps and they would fill them with oil and a wick and they would light them at night and they would put it up high so that it would have the greatest good and the largest amount of area. But still then those lights must have been very dim compared to what we enjoy today. But the point is once the light has been lit you don't hide it, you don't cover it, you don't put it under the ground, you put it up high where it can do the most good. Well, the Bible throughout uses light to represent the presence of truth and goodness and often the very presence of God. John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 1, 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. 1 John 1, 7, But if you walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ephesians 5, 8, For we were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I could go on and on and on. Dozens upon dozens of verses in the Bible describing God in terms of light, His Word in terms of light, His presence in terms of light. In fact, the Bible speaks of the two kingdoms in the spiritual realm. Satan is the God of the kingdom of darkness. When we are saved, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And we know that where Jesus is, there is light. He says Himself that he is the light. The light came into the world, the scripture says. The world loved darkness rather than light before their deeds are evil. Now, all of these verses and many more that I could have read are variations on the same essential theme 
And that is that God is not silent. He has not left humanity to grope about in the darkness, trying to find him like the proverbial needle in the haystack. God wants to be known. And he has given great evidence of his presence and his plan. First, through what he's made, Paul says in Romans Through what has been made, we see His divine power, His creativity on display. Anyone in the world, that's why we call it general revelation. It's available to all who would see it. But then He's given a special revelation in the Scripture. We said last Sunday that this is the greatest time to be alive because we have the full canon of Scripture. Everything God wants us to know about Himself, He has given us in His Word. But of course, the clearest revelation of who God is, is the person of His dear Son. The Scripture says He is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said to His disciples, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. Now Jesus here in chapter 11 is conversing with people that have had greater and closer exposure to light, that is truth, than anyone in human history. God Himself has taken on flesh and condescended to live among them, to teach them with His own lips and to heal them with His own finger, and yet they still would not believe. The very light of the world is speaking to them and they don't perceive the light. The problem though was not a deficiency of the light. The problem was that they failed to perceive it. There was more than enough light. Jesus was not and is not hiding light from them, or from you for that matter. He is displaying the light openly and honestly. He's not hiding it under a basket or in a cellar. He's holding it high for all to see. Jesus preached in public, usually in the out of doors. All were welcome. He performed His miracles that were verifiable, wide out in the open. He held the light high for all to see, but relatively few perceived the presence of the light. Now, the second thing we see here in verse 34 is the purpose of the light. He says, actually back up to verse 33, No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a cellar, nor under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. Well, he says right there in verse 33 what the purpose of the light is. So that those who enter may see the light. Light is useless if it is hidden. The purpose of light is to illuminate your surroundings. That's why many of you keep a light on in your house at night in case you need to get up, or a night light at least. You want to be able to avoid obstacles that could cause you pain so that you discern in the spiritual realm good from evil and good from best. That's why I call this message a call for discernment. That's what light does. It helps us to discern, to discern and distinguish truth from error, good from evil, good from best. We say in our own vernacular when we finally understand a difficult concept or problem that the light went on in our minds. That is, we have come to properly interpret the data. The data did not change our perception was clarified. Well, Jesus was surrounded that very moment with people who were presented with some incredible data, miracles, signs, wonders, teachings, and yet they failed to recognize or perceive that data for what it was, not because there was deficiency in the data 
or because there was dimness in the light, but it was their ability to discern. And the problem was what Jesus calls their eye. Their eye. Look what he says in verse 34. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. I know many of you, and certainly many uh, of our older generation, have had uh, cataract surgery. And a cataract is where there is a cloudiness or a film over the eye and it can accumulate to the point where very little if any light can pass through so you can't see. And so thankfully we live in an age where I think the average cataract surgery is about seven minutes long these days. You go in the morning, have it done and by noon you're, you're back at home. And what a blessing that is. Well he's speaking not of the physical organ as important as that is, he's speaking in spiritual terms. And just as the human eye is the receptacle of light, light passes through the eye and the brain perceives that light and informs us of what we're seeing. And when we understand what we're seeing, then we can have the proper response to it. So you're walking down a wooded trail and you round the corner and your eye lets in some light and you perceive ahead of you on the trail is a very large mother grizzly bear. Your eye tells your brain and your brain tells your body to do something. Fight or flight, right? And the old saying, if you're a buddy, you don't have to outrun the bear, just your buddy, right? But somebody better run. Now on the other hand, you walk around the same curve instead of a grizzly bear, your eye perceives your three-year-old toddler coming to you with arms open. That's a very different response, right? And so that's what he's saying. You're not able spiritually to perceive truth from error, good from evil, so you don't have the proper response to being in the presence of God. In this case, their calloused, unbelieving hearts prevented them from perceiving the message of Jesus Christ as truth, and therefore they received no benefit from being in His presence. The people of Jesus' day were not the first to miss out on such a blessing. Their ancestors God had provided for in the wilderness with a pillar of fire, His very presence with them all the time. All they had to do is look over and say, oh yeah, God is with us. They had manna from heaven to eat. They were there and crossed on dry land as Moses held his staff over the Red Sea. And yet almost all of them fell short of the promised land for the sin of unbelief. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says of that generation, for indeed we have had good news preached to us, that is through Jesus and preachers, just as they, that is the previous generation also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith to those who heard it. And so the Bible says that those stories in the Old Testament are given to us as a warning that we don't make the same mistake they did. And just as those who because of unbelief fell short of the promised land, those living today by unbelief will fall short of heaven. And he's warning us not to make the same mistake. The point is, I've been trying and laboring to make these past few weeks here in chapter 11 of Luke, is that it is possible, very possible, to be in the very presence of the light of the gospel continuously throughout a lifetime and still miss heaven to celebrate Christmas after Christmas, Easter after Easter, and miss heaven. 
And these folks here in Luke 11 that Jesus is talking to lived and talked with Jesus day after day, and they missed heaven not because there was enough information, not because He hid them Himself from them, but because of willful, stubborn unbelief. Their eyes were blind. But what is interesting is that they did not know they were blind. In fact, they thought they were just fine. Specifically, the Pharisees, those religious leaders, not only thought they were fine, they thought they were equipped to help others find God. But Jesus called them blind leaders of the blind. And Jesus is not making fun of the disabled. This is uh, somewhat humorous. The idea is of a group of people who don't have sight, who need someone to lead them, and the person that volunteers to lead them is also blind. And what does Jesus say happens to those who follow a blind leader? They all end up in the ditch. And friends, the ditch is hell. If you follow a person claiming to be speaking for God, but he's preaching a false gospel of works, you'll end up where he ends up, which is hell. That's why we have to be discerning. That's why I say this is a call for discernment. See, the balance of chapter 11 all the way through the end of verse 54 is a series of rebukes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees, these blind leaders of the blind. And it is hard to read. These next few Sundays are going to be difficult because one after another, let me just give you an example. Verse 47, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. You hold out your ancestry with pride that our ancestors were Jewish. Well, those ancestors you're so proud of killed the prophets and stoned those that God sent them. They didn't want to hear the truth any more than you want to hear the truth. They were as blind as you are. And he goes on over and over speaking curses to them. Woe to you lawyers, verse 52, for you have taken away the key of knowledge and you yourselves do not enter. And you hinder those who are entering. It's not just that you're on the wrong path. You're directing other people to the wrong path. And there are curses associated with it. And thirdly, let, let's talk about the perception of light. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. I think he's speaking here of the necessity of change when a person's born again. He seems to be indicating that it is an impossibility for a person to genuinely be saved, to have their spiritual eyes open and it not change them fundamentally. I think that's why Jesus in John 3 uses the terminology born again, regeneration. It's not just that we brush off the rough edges or clean up a little bit. It's that we must be born again. We have to come altogether new. And it changes everything about us when the light is within us, when we perceive it properly. I have incredibly bad eyesight. I have worn very powerful contacts since I was 12 years old. And without them, I would be functionally blind. But I didn't know that until I was 12 years old. I had lived the first 12 years of my life believing everybody saw the way I did. Until one day it got so difficult to 
see what was going on in school and read the chalkboard. I couldn't even write down the homework assignments without going right up to it. Finally made an appointment with the eye doctor. And when he came out with the results, this is what he said, not to offend anybody, he said this, not me. He said, you don't need glasses, you need a German shepherd. He said, you have incredibly bad eyesight. And he, he fitted me with a pair of glasses, and i never forget, I walked outside with these glasses, and it was like I was born again. I saw every blade of grass. I didn't know there were individual blades of grass. I looked in the trees, I could see every individual leaf on the tree, and I thought, well, I've been missing all these years. Now, that pales in comparison to what happens when you're born again. All these things that you've heard about but had no perception of spiritually, the Lord opens your eyes and you begin to hunger for the Word of God and you can't get enough. And these people you thought were fanatics and crazies become your friends and your life changes totally. And the point is that Jesus is the light. He is all truth. And when you recognize that, it changes everything about you. It's not that He changed. It's not that truth changed. It's not that the light turned up higher. It's always been there. It's your ability to perceive it. I hear some well-meaning people sometimes say, well, I made Jesus my Lord in 1982. Friend, you didn't make Jesus anything. Okay. Jesus is Lord. Maybe what happened in 1982 is by His Spirit, He opened your eyes for you to see that He is Lord. And you bowed your knee to him, but he has not changed. He's always the same. Now, something that changes when the light of Christ is living in you is that you develop what we pastors call a Christian worldview. That is, as you have data come through your senses, you no longer dismiss historical and contemporary events as happenstance, and you begin to see God's hand in everything. You're not overwhelmed by the news. You're not panic stricken. You just see, aha, God is at work in the world. And what you say fundamentally is with the blind man that Jesus healed, I once was blind, now I see. That's what uh, the great hymn writer John Newton had in mind when he wrote the world's most famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. The first thing that God causes you to see about yourself when He opens your spiritual eyes is your wretchedness, your sinfulness. In fact, that's the word that uh, the hymn writer used, a wretch like me. That's very vivid and we want to soften that, but we shouldn't. Because the Bible says that uh, David said, in sin was I conceived. That is, we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. We are rebels against God. And Thankfully, He doesn't let us live in blissful ignorance. When someone preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit takes that word and convicts you of personal sin and judgment and righteousness of God, what a gracious thing that is. That's not because God hates you, it's because He loves you. He's calling you and He's wooing you to Himself. But the Scripture says most people don't receive that. Light came into the world but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. What's the purpose of light? It's to show the truth, the reality of the situation. And when we are in the presence of the gospel and the presence of the Word of God being brought to bear, the presence of God Himself, we see ourselves as we really are 
and we'll have one or two reactions. One is we'll turn it away and turn the light back out so we can continue in blissful ignorance. Or we'll receive that as a grace of God. We'll repent of our sins. We'll confess them and we'll fall on our face before him in humility. Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people who walk in darkness. Do you know who walks in darkness? Everybody. Before Christ enters them. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. That, friends, is a messianic prophecy that was fulfilled with the birth, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, not only has light come into the world, but for all those who know him, who have been born again, who've been changed, that light now lives within us. And our task is to not hide it, not conceal it, but to hold it up brightly. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus says, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The ultimate reason we're here and not in heaven is so that God the Father would be glorified in and through us in a lost and dying world. And if you're here today, friend, and you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, you can. You might have entered this room in darkness, but you can leave in light. If you'll recognize Him as who He claimed to be, very God of very God, who left the glories of heaven, took on human flesh as a baby, lived a perfect life, tempted in every way that we are, died on the cross for sinners like us, was buried and three days later was resurrected and is today seated at the right hand of the Father. That's who Jesus is and who He claimed to be. He has not changed. What about you? Maybe God has graciously by His Spirit convicted you of personal guilt today. He's opening your blind eyes. Don't turn away. Thank Him for that. Receive His dear Son today. Repent of your sins and believe on Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the light of Jesus Christ that is perfect. You are the Father of lights. Everywhere we see light in the Bible, it speaks of Your presence. It speaks of truth and righteousness and justice. And yet, Lord, we must admit we live in a very dark world. It's full of evil and sin, but the truth is most people like it that way. They turn out the light. They try to snuff it out. And yet, Lord, uh, we're called to hold our light up on high. Father, help us to do that even through the Christmas season. Help us to live our lives in our neighborhoods and our communities in such distinctively Christ-honoring ways that no one could miss it, no one could ignore it. Help us, Father, to illuminate the path everywhere we go. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've revealed yourself in nature how you've revealed yourself in the Holy Word, and most especially, how you've revealed yourself in the incarnation, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.